Good morning. I'm Karen Honer. Our reading today is from Matthew 5. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you, falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were born, who were before you. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. morning. morning. <laughs> we, we trend as the summer goes. Y'all are more over in the shade this year, a little more spread out last week. Where we meet at night during the summer, the light comes in over your shoulder and literally the sun arcs across the sanctuary. And so about midway through the service in June, if you're sitting here, you're blinded. But then in July, it's over here and it's funny to watch people do what you just did. They migrate across <laughs> the sanctuary. So. Can I take a second and pray as we come to look again at the sun on the mountain? Dear God, we offer you this day and ourselves, our souls and bodies and minds and hearts and the burdens we bear, the joys we carry and offer to you. Thank you for these men and women who have gotten up this morning and come because they are hungry for you and desperate to be fed. And we pray that your word would do that this morning and the community together and hearing each other sing and pray would do that, that you might grant us strength and courage to live as your people in the world. Fill this space, this lawn, the kindness that's being extended to this church by being here. Fill and meet with anybody online who's watching. We offer ourselves to you. Hear this prayer by a man named Kent Hughes. It's what he prays as he looks at the Sermon on the Mount. Dear Lord, we long for your smile upon our face and our life. So please open our hearts to the meaning of the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount. We open ourselves to their light, shine their rays into the deepest part of our life, sear our souls and heal us, build the character of the kingdom in us so that you can call us blessed. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning again. It's always my delight to be with you. This is week two in our Summer on the Mount, our summer series looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to take this week and next, next week to look at the Beatitudes, which are the beginning of that sermon and real well known. And I bet many of you have heard the verses that Karen just read lots of times. As we turn our face to the Beatitudes, can you think for a second and just raise your hand? How many of you have learned at some point in your life how to play an instrument? Okay, look around, look around. Pretty much ev almost everybody, right? I want you to think about when you started to play that instrument and turn to someone next to you and say, this is the instrument I learned to play. We're not asking 
for quality of play, like how good you were, but maybe just turn and say, I played this to somebody next to you, okay? I played the recorder, <laughs> and that was pretty good. I was, yeah, I rocked the recorder. I wasn't, they weren't around. I didn't do music, they did <laughs> okay, so raise your hand if maybe you had piano. How many pianos do we have? Lots of pianos. Okay, how many, maybe guitar? It's probably number two. A little drum, percussion, clarinet, woodwinds. Okay, maybe some trumpets and brass. Right, anybody play tuba? Still practicing the tuba in your backyard? Right. When I was in seminary, there was a guy who played the bagpipes in our neighborhood, and he would literally walk around the neighborhood on Saturdays and play the bagpipes, which is just kind of cool, but also odd, right? Like, it is kind of a flex if you can play the bagpipes, but nobody's like, hey, come to my house, play your bagpipes. It'll be a friend. <laughs> okay, remember what it was like in that instrument? It was like to pick it up, how it felt that first time, probably all the energy and excitement about playing it, and then the reality of like, oh gosh, I really can't do this yet. Okay, keep that experience in your mind because we're gonna come back to that in a minute in the sermon. Again, we're in week two. And last week we looked at the drumbeat of the whole Sermon on the Mount, which is that line, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall receive the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit. This is a line we return to every day in our life with the Lord. It's an encouragement. Again, this summer, if you feel wrung out by the last 16 months, this series, this summer is really for you and for me. Remember I said last week, I just want to remind you, the invitation for everybody to try to read through all of the Sermon on the Mount at least how many times a week? Remember what I said? One time, right? Chapters 5, 6, and 7. I'll take you about 10 to 12 minutes. Just once a week, try to read your way through. At least the teenagers, Rod said he would buy you something at Chick-fil-A at the end of the summer. So, you know, so he's got to work that out with Sarah, it looks like, for the nodding of but we're turning again to the Sermon on the Beatitudes, and these are time-tested, amazing words that have been given to you and me. This is the British poet John Donne about the Sermon on the Mount. You can find all the articles of our religion, all the canons of our church, all the body of divinity in these three chapters in this one Sermon on the Mount. All the articles of our religion. Or this is New Testament scholar F.F. F. Bruce. As we come to the Sermon, we are near heaven here. We are near heaven here, so don't take the words lightly as we read them and look at them. The Beatitudes this week and next week, again, are often called the eight blessings. John Stott says these together constitute both the eight responsibilities and the eight privileges of being a citizen of God's kingdom. And they can be broken up and really understood into two parts. The first four are about a focus of our lives toward God, and that's the ones we'll look at this morning. And the second four focus our lives outward toward others. Does that sound familiar? Anything else grouped in Scripture that way? Maybe the Ten Commandments. Maybe Jesus' summary of the Ten Commandments, right? Like, love the Lord to God and love your neighbor to yourself. Well, here's the Beatitudes helping you focus on what's it mean to love God and what's it mean to love neighbors. I encourage you, if you have one of the servant service outlines, to keep what you heard read in front of you just to glance at them because we're going to just scroll through. And what I want to do is I want to give a progression and an explanation of how God works in our lives and a progression of what these first four can look like as we go closer to Him. Then I want to use an illustration which will take us back to your instruments. And then I want to give three exhortations about these first four Beatitudes. Okay, so progression and illustration and exhortations. For the progression, just, just see how these kind of flow together, right? So first, like we talked about last week, we learn of our need for God. We, we are broken on our knees. We realize we have nothing to bring. And we come to him and say, Lord, here am I. 
right? And of course, the great illustration and image in all of the New Testament is the prodigal son, right? The prodigal son in the pig slop coming to his senses, so many of our translations say. That's us at the, at the personification of our poverty of spirit. Teresa of Avila had this great prayer about her own, in her own life with the Lord. Lord, I do not love you, and I do not even want to love you, but I want to want to love you. I don't love you, I don't even want to love you, but I want to want to love you. That is coming to the Lord like the prodigal son. And what is promised is that we are blessed for being in that place. So again, I just want to encourage you, maybe all summer, that's where you are with the Lord. But just remember, you are blessed in that place. Come to the Lord and say, Lord, you promised and call me blessed in this place of just feeling wrung out. And so I am still coming to you and I'm praying like Teresa. I want to want to love you. Help me. But first we start there. But then the more we spend time with him, he gets bigger and our own understanding of ourselves gets bigger. I had the privilege of being with your college students this week. And we talked a little bit about the prayer of St. Augustine. You know, Lord, help me know you and help me know myself. And the more we're with the Lord, both those things begin to happen. And as we do that, what we realize is we, are, 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 we get God's eyes and we begin to realize, wow, this is a pretty broken world. And we begin to mourn that world. We begin to see our own brokenness in bigger lights. Wow, I have deeper need of God than I even knew. You might see what your sin has cost you. You might get lenses to begin to see what your sin costs in other people, your other relationships. You begin to see how our sins have cost us in the world and the implications in our neighbors, in our communities, and in our cities. You might begin to, as you draw near with joy to Jesus and what he's doing in your life, to grieve because you realize these people that I love and wish were drawing near to Jesus who are living out a life away from Jesus, you begin to mourn and see the implications in their lives. So we begin to see God's eyes and in many ways understand in deeper volume what the gospel story really is. You know, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. God begins to open up all that in much deeper color and sound. So we come, we begin to mourn, and that mourning begins to bear fruit because again, this understanding of ourself pr promotes humility. Meekness, the, the closer you are, the deeper you draw to God, the more your own life will bear fruit in humility. Humility in scripture is a result of knowing, again, both God and yourself. You can see it again. Why did St. Augustine cry that prayer? Because as he drew near to God, he knew he needed deeper awareness of God's love and the good kingdom that he's being called into But as he sees more of himself. I love this, the two explanations about Moses in his own life. We see that he sees God face to face, and then Numbers calls Moses the humblest man on the face of the earth. Those things are absolutely integrated and interconnected. The deeper you draw close to God, the deeper your own humility will be. And the beauty of that is we begin to lose pretense, right? We begin to, to not take ourselves so seriously. We stop trying to justify ourselves. We begin to extend empathy to other people because we start to realize, well, there's a story behind why they're doing this. Somebody cuts you off in traffic and rather than cussing them out with your words or in your mind, you go, well, that person may have something going. They maybe they relate to the hospital. You begin to figure out ways to give grace to people like you'd expect. So poverty to mourning to humility and meekness. And then the fourth of these first four is we begin to hunger and thirst for righteousness. We don't just stop with our own burdens or the sorrow. We begin to hunger to do something different. 
we, we find we long for change in ourselves and change in our neighbors. And again, we long for those we love to be blessed as well. We begin to pursue righteousness. And as you can see, this is a lovely bridge to the next four. Next week, we begin to think our neighbors because now we're not only pursuing righteousness, we ruin it on behalf of other people. This is sort of the progression. What you hear in that is, is being a Christian means caring, right? And being a Christian is gonna to mean to feel things. And you're gonna be blessed, but what you're getting are God's eyes, and what he's giving us a very small taste of is the burden you fear for the person you love who's making poor choices and dealing with consequences is a small smidgen of what God feels on behalf of that person. But as you grow closer, he's opening you up in your own understanding. And so you're beginning to mourn in a way maybe you didn't expect to and maybe you didn't want to. Right? Dear God, I'd rather not have eyes for some of these things. Many of us over the last year, this is some of what's happened. We've begun to see the implications of some of the sin in our country. And the implications are bigger than maybe we thought or understood it for at first. And the mourning might feel, frankly, unbearable. This is heaven's process. It's a blessed process. It is the kingdom breaking into your life. But again, it's not necessarily easy. So that's the progression, how these flow. Then the illustration, again, think back to your instrument. Think about, how many of you are excited to start that instrument when you got it? How many of you thought you could probably, like two or three days, you could play it pretty great, probably, right? So you, you picked it up at first, and then within a few seconds, you probably realize, oh, this is not going to go as well as I thought, right? How many of you have ever been around somebody who was like, oh, no, I got it. I, got, I can get it. Particularly if you're a parent, you probably had this experience to pick up an instrument. No, I got it, Dad. I got it, Papa, my kids would say. And how easy is it to teach someone to play something if they think they already know how to play it? It's impossible, right? So that first step with your instrument was poverty of spirit, right? And if you didn't reach that, it didn't matter. I don't care if you're sitting with Yo-Yo Ma, you will never learn the cello. If you think I got it, Yo-Yo, I don't need any help. It's never going anywhere. So you begin with that humility, right? Then you begin to practice. And as you get better and mature over time, you start to realize a little bit of mourning. Like, wow, I really didn't know how bad I was when I first started because I'm realizing the work that went into it. You may begin to wonder about the, and begin to mourn, oh, it wasn't just me, it was actually my, my peer group and the other institutions I was a part of. We have this conversation regularly in our house about why did you come to our elementary school concerts? We were terrible, my kids would say. It actually happened just this week. Right, because you realize, wow, not only was I bad, but my three friends on each side playing the trumpet or the clarinet, they were all bad too. We're all mourning now because your understanding is growing. Your humility is birthing mourning, not only for you, but for your community. We always say, well, the reason we came, because we love you. We didn't come expecting you to be any good. And then we begin to grow. Like same thing would happen in sports, right? Like you go, many of you will start, I know the high school kids might start a sport in August, and that first week you'll be sore. Right, and you'll come home and you'll say, I'm, I'm kind of sore. And if you went to your coach and was like, I'm sore, I don't think I should be sore. A good coach would look at you and ignore you, frankly, and go, yes, you should be sore. Because if you don't get sore, you don't realize your poverty spirit, you're not beginning to mourn because your muscles aren't changing, and you'll never get to hungering and pursuing righteousness and scoring a touchdown. So, too bad, come back tomorrow. 
Go back to your instruments, okay? So now you're learning the community, but that leads you to deeper humility, and if you want to get good, you realize, well, I really need to knuckle down. i got to practice. I have to be humble enough and meek enough to demonstrate growth. Not as good as I want, but I'm getting better. And then lastly, you decide you want to not just get good enough to be in the orchestra, but maybe first chair, maybe you fall in love with the instrument, you say you're going to play your life, maybe you apply for a scholarship for college, and on and on and on. You pursue getting better. So this process, this progression is actually heaven's process, and I would argue it's stitched into creation as a subtle sign of God's kingdom that we often don't even realize. What's happening with the, the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount is what happens in your life in lots of different ways. We could play that out in lots of different things. So I want to give you, I want to extract three exhortations from these two things, progression and implications. Here's some exhortations. First, seeing these blessings birth in your own life is a sign, therefore, of health. It's a sign of the kingdom of heaven, of heaven coming alive in you, that you begin to feel humble and mourn and grieve even your, your sin and the sins you see in the world or others. Ideally, we want you to be more aware of God now than maybe when you feel sad. I don't want to grieve. It'd be easier not to have the lenses, frank, frankly, sometimes. But Christ's teaching is shining with paradoxes, right? Blessed if I mourn, really? Yes, because the last will be first. Giving is receiving. Dying is living. Losing is finding. The least is greatest. If you're poor, you're rich. Weakness is strength and serving is ruling. Welcome to the kingdom of heaven. That world and the world we live in are different. And if we're drawing near to God, these attributes will begin to bloom. Again, they are a sign of health. You wouldn't want the prodigal to stay with the pigs and go, hey, good job, way to come to your senses. You'd want them to get up and do something else. So, first again, the Beatitudes birthing and breaking forth in our life are signs of health. Second, the understanding of mourning here it's both for us and our world. I want to highlight this because this is sort of a question that's floating around some of our culture, right? Neighbors we've been a part of. That This has a certain kind of sense, but it is not heaven's sense. Jesus grieved individuals and institutions. The mourning here, the Greek, is it's the deepest form. There are nine words that could be used for mourning here in the Bible, and this is the deepest form of mourning. And it means continual mourning. Blessed are those who continually mourn of their own need and brokenness and of the world they live in. And again, there's lots to mourn over the last year. The, the thousands of deaths because of COVID. The hostility and racial hatred in our country and brokenness. Poverty, sex trafficking. There's so many things we could mourn. That's just institutional. I'm, I'm sure if I asked you, I bet all of you have something individually you're mourning. The closer we get to God, the closer we understand our poverty of spirit, the more we see our need for God and the world's need for God. Take comfort, though, from what happens when you mourn. What is promised? Blessed are those who mourn because they will be comforted. Comforted. The word there, comfort, is what Roman soldiers would do with each other. We're going out to battle together. The Latin come fortis is what they would say. And it's an exhortation. We are moving out together. 
you're mourning, you're not alone. Look around the lawn, you're not alone. If you're online, you're not alone. We are comforted together because we are this inbroken, inbreaking kingdom of people. Jesus is changing and we're moving to mourn and change the world together. Parakaleia, bring comfort. And that gets us to the third point I just want to highlight. Because this is so important. The, the implications of the Beatitudes and the sermon are that we are then to get up off our knees and to go pursue God's change in the world. God, remember, think back to last week. What is the point of the sermon? Is it to give you great ideas? Is it because Jesus wanted a good book for you to read? No, it's to make disciples, make people, because he values you, because you have inherent sacredness and dignity, and he's placed you in a world that he loves. God doesn't save or draw us to himself to debilitate us with our poverty or need. No, he's, he's showing you who he is in your need for God because he wants you to know the joy of being set free by God's love for you. However big your need is, God's love for you is bigger. So what we're learning, and the reason we return this every day is, wow, I feel my need here, and Jesus is saying, oh, that's okay, my need, my God's love for you is here. My need's here. Hey, great, God the Father loves you this much, and it doesn't, God doesn't run out. And as we do that, and we, we take on God's heart, we realize, wait, we're beginning to hunger for something else. We see the brokenness, and we're like, wait, it doesn't have to stay that way. You're sent to use your heart, and your hands, and your minds, and your gifts, and your passions and loves for God's glory in the world. This is Martin Luther on the word righteousness and this verse, the fourth of these Beatitudes. The command to you is not to crawl into a corner or into the desert, but to run out if that is where you've been and to offer your hands and your feet and your whole body to water everything you have and can do. Jesus is not teaching these so we curl up in a ball, say it's just all too much. No, the command is to say, well, I know I'm in a desert because it's a fallen world, but clearly God's given me a watering can and the good news of Jesus, and I'm going to run out and water everywhere I can. And as I look around the lawn, there's an amazing array of people and gifts here. And you guys can water in areas that people would never want me to be. You can do things I could never do. You can quench thirst in ways I never could. But we do it together. Come fortis, right? Some of you are familiar with Lord Shaftesbury, who was the, the 19th century Christian reformer in England. And as a child, he saw a pauper's funeral. People were drunk. These few men were carrying their friend in a coffin. And they were drunk and sad and dirty. And they dropped the coffin. The coffin fell open and the body fell out. And as a young child, young boy, 9, 10, or 11, he saw that and thought, I, I will make, I'm going to do something about that. That's a hunger and thirst for righteousness. And if you read about his life, he absolutely applied that implication and consequence and change in his heart the rest of his life. He got up off his knees to pursue something different on behalf of the king. It's noble work. These Beatitudes have stunning power and promise. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you again for these words, and I'm so grateful for the centuries 
of men and women who have reflected on them that hand down their import to us. Lord, I know that many of us carry so much burden or difficulty or mourning of late that it's hard to think about pursuing righteousness. Would you fill and fuel us to do that, Lord? Give us ideas and creativity of ways that we can do that in our own little space, our own little circle of influence, how we can bring your kingdom even this week through kindness, through intentionality, through generosity, through extending forgiveness and understanding and empathy and humility in ways because we know that you have extended that to us. In your holy name, amen.